Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate and provide education from our guests' experience. Josh, who have we got on the podcast this week? This week, Julia, we're joined by Robert Lee. Robert initially trained as a dental nurse before undertaking further training to qualify as a dental therapist. Just, just apply and try. The worst, the worst thing that can happen is you hear a no. And we've all heard no before, even from the age of one. We hear no. <laughs> no, don't do that. So just try. You're not committing yourself to anything. You're just applying. But just be open to something different. Since then, he's worked in general practice and has already developed himself further by studying for a postgraduate diploma in periodontics. Since then, he's sidestepped into an oral health promotion role and now spends his time giving advice to the more disadvantaged members of society. I wouldn't be sitting in this chair if I didn't know what I was doing. But then also, I can ask for help. I'm not stuck here on my own. There is going to be someone I can turn to. Even clinicians that have been qualified for 20 years, they may still turn to someone else for advice. With your hosts, Josh Hudson and Julia Bruin. Robert, you initially were a dental nurse before becoming a dental therapist. So can you talk us through those very early stages of your dental career? So um, initially, I'd always said I wanted to go into healthcare. Um, I wasn't really sure which area of healthcare I wanted to go into. And um, it's probably not the best way to say it, but my dental career started off on a, a lie, essentially. I needed to find work experience and I wrote to the local dental practice. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I really am interested in dentistry. And they said, well, we, we want you to come in and just be sure that it's really something you want to do. So I went in and I played the game. And, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, really, really interesting. And I went every Wednesday after school for the whole of my A-levels. And at the end of it, I actually realised I, I did quite enjoy the industry. Um, I then stayed on, started training as a dental nurse. And um, after kind of six, seven months of that, I realised, yeah, I, I enjoyed dentistry, but perhaps it wasn't the dental nursing side of it that I enjoyed. Then applied to university and my, my career kind of took off from there. I was actually working towards being a dental professional as opposed to going, oh, I think I enjoy this. I'm not sure which part of it I enjoy, which which part actually is it. So what, so was the plan always to do dental therapy? So you said that you kind yes. of just wanted to get experience in dentistry. What, what was the long-term goal at that early stage? Um, <laughs> I wasn't 100% sure of the long-term goal, actually. I, I knew that I, I wanted to, I, I kept having my head, I want to do healthcare, I want to do healthcare. And then... Um, I thought, do, do I want to be a dentist? Um, I quickly learned that I didn't enjoy um, a lot of the, the sort of the scope of practice of a dentist. I wasn't a fan of um, anything to do with root canals. I found them tedious. Um, I didn't really enjoy the idea of making dentures. Um, I, then the dentist I was working with, uh, she started training to be a periodontist. So we were seeing a lot more patients with gum disease and treating them. And that kind of steered me in that direction to work in. And then, so you applied for dental therapy. Yes. Yeah. Was that at what point, because a lot of uh, guests that we spoke to didn't necessarily know about a hygiene or therapy before applying. So is that something that you were aware of? Did your dentist put, put you in touch with that kind of option or how did dental therapy come into the mix? Um, so when I, I first applied, actually, um, when I'd finished my A-levels, just on the off chance, I found Eastman and I applied and I applied for the hygiene only course. Mm -hmm. And then later in that year, I spoke to people I worked with. None of the hygienists I actually worked with were qualified as therapists. Um, I looked at, I literally just sat there and looked at the prospectus and looked at the different things that they could do compared to a hygienist. And I thought, well, I might as well apply for that. That's more sort of in line with the things I enjoy that a dentist does and omitting the other areas that I don't. But 
I'd never really worked with the therapist in great detail and didn't really understand what their role was. Okay. I, I think it would be fair to say it's, it's quite well established that these are challenging courses to do. And I think sometimes we find that people don't really expect it to be quite what it was. What were your expectations? Did you have any expectations? Um, I, I wouldn't say I expected as much kind of the content I'd done at A-level to come back into it as it was. It was I sat there and I thought, why am I, why am I learning all of this again? Oh, I'm learning all of this again. I, I thought it would be more in line of what I'd started to learn when I was training as a dental nurse. Um, in sort of purely dentistry as opposed to having to learn a lot of, I found a hell of a lot of law and ethics stuff as well was quite surprising. I did not expect those sort of topics. Um, so it was initially quite different. Then as you slowly settle into it, I went, oh, this is what I'm familiar with. When I started treating patients, that cake sort of comes back into, I remember this from nursing. This is a more familiar topic for me. But you can understand that there is an element of, um, reasoning about why these subjects are covered obviously massively yeah when you when you take a step back and you look at it as a whole you realize really dentistry and probably other subjects like medicine as well were some of the few fields where you have to take in pretty much every subject that you learn at school in some way there's an element of maths there there's an element of drama of a performance there's an element of a lot of science there's history there's english it, it kind of encompasses everything really and then in another weird way, physical education, you have to think, is my posture correct? Is this correct? Is that correct? So it kind of combines everything, really. That's really true. I don't know if I've ever really thought about it like that. But but, but yeah, that's that's right. It does incorporate, incorporate so many different things. And I, also the other difference that I say to the students a lot is everything that you're learning is actually applicable to what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. It's not necessarily like if you do, I don't know, a maths degree and then go off and work in some other area where you might not use that knowledge. It's all, it's all applicable. And I think another thing talking about thinking what to expect, I don't think people necessarily realize how much work it is. I was speaking to a colleague the other day who's uh, applying and she was saying, yeah, I'll still be able to work full time. I'll just condense my hours into three days and it will be fine. And I was like, no, you, you, you won't. I don't think you realize how much work this is. Was it was it more work than you expected as well? It was. Yeah, it was. It was a nine to five job. But then generally when you're on a, a nine to five job, you leave, you go home, you might not have work to carry out at home. I go home after study, after revise this and. And you're kind of your if you're having lectures all day, your brain's a little bit fried. Or if you're in your early stages of seeing patients, you really Whereas now we're qualified, we put a lot of effort mentally into a patient, but some of it is muscle memory and we, we do that job every day. When you're a student, you're thinking about every tiny little move. So mentally it's exhausting. Um, I personally wouldn't have been able to do work at weekends. I don't think I would have physically been able to, to yeah. cope with everything though. And it's, it's a very competitive uh, course to get onto. So I know at the Eastman we have maybe 900 applicants for 20 different places. It's, it's a very competitive process. And from, from your experience of going through that process, do you have any advice for people that might be considering maybe moving from dental nursing or maybe just school leavers in applying for this kind of course? So I would always say when you're applying for this kind of course or applying for anything, really read the website, read the prospectus in detail, because quite often they're, they're giving you sort of hidden tips on what they're looking for look at the job role look at the kind of qualities that they want to see in a person and then write down everything you've done so whether you've done 
work experience in this, you've studied this subject, even if you've written an essay in one of your, your classes, and look at how you can make that apply to what the, the university is looking for. And also networking as well, speak to other people, speak to people that have perhaps studied 10 years ago, speak to people that are studying at the moment, speak to people that are, are thinking of applying and really get different stories from people. I think that's really useful advice, actually. Mm. Do you would you find you know you you've obviously had experience of being a dental nurse and now you're the sort of operator as it were? Do you think that sort of background was helpful to you because you obviously can get onto these courses now straight from school with A levels without any um, dental nurse experience of any sort? So do you think that's been a useful tip for you to experience before you did your training? For me, um, yeah, massively, massively useful. Um, without that kind of prior knowledge, I felt that probably the first couple of months of the course, I would have struggled a lot more to get to grips with even things like dental charting. It's like learning a whole other language. I mean, you, you can pick it up quickly, but for me, I would have found that slightly more challenging. So, um, yeah, even other really, really simple things like um, what is a mirror? What it, Obviously, we know it's a reflective device, but how do I hold it? How would a dentist perhaps use it? And as a student, I never got to sit there and watch a dentist carry out a root canal. So then when I went into practice, I felt that even though I'd, I'd had the, the academic training on what this procedure was, why a patient might have it, I would have perhaps struggled to really understand what the patient had had in their mouth done if I'd not had that experience as a dental nurse. So for me, I found it extremely useful. Um, it also gave me a, a wider understanding of dentistry as a whole. I didn't feel like I was limited to just what was going on in my surgery, what I'd trained to do at university. I, I sort of understood everyone else's role a little bit better. And that's obviously super important because we're a whole dental team and everyone's one cog in the management of that patient. And I think, yeah, that sounds useful to to understand exactly what everybody else is doing and then apply that to, to what you're doing. Yeah, de definitely. And even having had experience, I used to work on the desk at reception when I was training as a dental nurse. You even even the people skills that they need, the time management skills, they are really, really, really tricky and not something I would have ever really experienced if I'd just gone in straight away, trained as a hygienist and then worked as a clinician. I wouldn't have had every little step. Even I had to restock the toilets when I was a dental nurse. <laughs> it was thinking of every step that goes into running a practice. And do you think that you were sufficiently well prepared for um, working out in the big bad world, as it, as we call it, when you finished your dental school training? I think I was as prepared as I, I could be. I don't think anyone ever walks out, goes into their first day of working and goes, oh, those three years, I know everything I'm doing. I, I, <laughs> there's, no, there's never going to be a challenge. I know everything. Um, there's always a challenge. Um, even the first time that you're giving a patient an anaesthetic and you think there's not only is there not a tutor not watching me, there's not even a tutor kind of in the building, um, you're as prepared as you can be. You have to really take a step back and think, well, I wouldn't be sitting in this chair if I didn't know what I was doing. But then also, I can ask for help. I'm not stuck here on my own. There is going to be someone I can turn to. Even clinicians that have been qualified for 20 years, they may still turn to someone else for advice. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really interesting point, isn't it? I mean, I think the moral behind that little just snippet that you've just said is actually don't be afraid of asking. No, completely, yeah. Um, even even if you're a clinician that's been qualified for X amount of years, you may actually be seeking advice from someone younger or junior to you, which can can seem strange. But if 
if you're a dentist, you've been qualified 40 years, you may not be a specialist in oral surgery. Your oral surgeon may be 30, yeah. but their training's different to yours. They've perhaps specialized in that area. They're the person you go to. And it's, it's accepting that and not putting a barrier up for yourself. And having an open mind. Exactly. That, you know, yeah. Colleagues, whatever stage of their careers, we're all in it together. Definitely, yeah. So interestingly, you went back to the clinic that you originally worked at as a dental nurse once you'd qualified. So what, what was that? What was that like? Because that must have been an interesting kind of dynamic to, to come back into. It was, yeah, it was very, very different. Um, I, I completely, my role, as you said, completely changed. Um, the staff straight away got used to it. They kind of accepted, you're the hygienist, you're the therapist, this is what you do. Um, a lot of the patients didn't remember me, which in a way was better because they didn't <laughs> kind of think of me as, oh, why is the dental nurse doing this? Why is the dental nurse doing that? Um, the few that did were more more kind of the patients who we'd treated for their gum disease. So I, I could remember their story if I looked back. And they were actually very, very happy to have me treat them because they knew that I'd worked with the specialist who'd been looking after them originally. I'd seen their case perhaps from the start, even though I really had to read back through the notes and rejog my memory. But they, we had some rapport built up already. Um, it was a weird experience, but it was nice to be able to re- rekindle those relationships. So yeah, there's definitely some benefits then. Massively, Was, was yeah. there any downsides to, to working back where you'd worked previously, do you think? Um, sometimes that you were potentially still seen as being the dental nurse that was there, which as much of an important role as it was when I was a dental nurse, it was it was hard to kind of change people's complete perception of actually that's not part of my role anymore. This is This is my role and I'm the same person in some ways, but also my training over three years has changed me a lot as a person the knowledge I've got is very different um sometimes it was a little bit hard to kind of get that mindset into people yeah and even in my own mindset changing my own perception of I'm working in the same room I'm working in the same practice but I'm a different person that was challenging Um, I'm I'm sure that probably was yes I'm I'm thinking as as one of your ex-tutors that we all try and make a colossal effort to make sure that you are well prepared. Do you, do you think there's anything we could have done more to prepare you for those times when you leave and go into general practice or in any other setting for that matter? So, um, I mean, we, we when we trained, we had a trickier time towards the end of it because we had to deal with COVID and a lot of that was... Um, trying to really just get the clinical experience we needed to get number-wise and experience-wise. Perhaps if that hadn't happened, it would have been beneficial to just go work as a hygienist in a practice, even just as a placement, have a tutor come with us, but to kind of get an idea of the speed that you'd have to be working at. Um, when I saw patients in general practice as a therapist, when I was I was training, it was I'd, I'd have kind of half an hour for a patient for an extraction, which was was fair time what you kind of would expect that of a qualified clinician but for my hygiene care I was still working more towards that hour to an hour and a half time period um then when I went into practice I was working more sort of the half an hour 40 minute mark and having to think of even completing my notes in this time getting the patient in I think that would probably be quite beneficial so it's a timing issue more of a yeah more of a timing thing because in hospital we do have a lot more time and we have to factor in the tutor coming over checking the patient in discussions and the fact that as a student at the start we are a lot slower as well and it's a completely different environment isn't it R- really so I guess there's there's a, a, a lot of learning that goes on in that transition 
So there might be uh, students listening to this who might be coming up to, to qualifying. What advice would you give to somebody who's just about to go through that period of transitioning from a protected hospital environment into a more independent practice situation? So um, first thing, don't beat yourself up. Um, you've trained for this. I said earlier, you've trained. You, you do know what you're doing. You wouldn't be allowed to be there if you didn't. Have some confidence in that. Know that that patient that's booked in for and you know they are a routine patient they've seen a hygienist who is very qualified is very experienced they've maintained that patient well know that the treatment in that patient you can carry out and you know exactly what you're doing but also don't worry that oh this patient's come in i've perhaps had a patient that's not been in for two years they've accidentally been booked in my diary they come in there's inflammation everywhere there's pockets everywhere i think this patient's got decay and completely freaking yourself out i'm newly qualified i don't know what i'm doing just Take a step back and treat it as if you were looking at a case when you're at university. Break the steps down and and don't be afraid again to ask for help. And have have some confidence in your own your your own abilities. You don't need to do everything all in one go either. Is this probably the other thing? If Definitely. you're in that situation, taking the time to, like you say, take a step back, break everything down, and not feeling like you have to rush into into to doing anything. Because yeah. again, that's where you probably find yourself in hot water when you're uh, rushing into something without necessarily thinking thinking things through properly. Yeah, definitely. Really taking a step back and 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 being honest with the patient to begin with. Um, even you you're carrying out a filling on a patient, you think, oh, it's it's a little bit deep. Just tell the patient to begin with. They'd rather know. Or, oh, this patient has a lot of calculus. They've not been in for a few years. Just tell them to begin with. And then if you do manage to get more done in the appointment than you expect, the patient's really happy. They think, oh, great. They, they actually, they told me that this might be painful. This might not all be completed. And we, we've got a fair chunk of it done. Or they'll go, well, they were honest. They said that this might happen, so I'm expecting it. And that's that's kind of what we would expect if we went to a doctor. We'd, we'd, we'd want to know all the facts about everything. Yeah. So it's about managing expectations. Always, isn't it? yeah, always you manage know, them. I mean, that, that's a that's a really key bit of advice, isn't it? Particularly, I think, like you say, for our newly qualified colleagues. Definitely. And the only thing that's changed between two weeks before you qualify and when you see a patient is that you've got letters after your name and you're on a register. You've not suddenly developed all these new skills in that time period. So think, how would I have treated this patient when I was still training? Would I have been able to do all of this? Probably not, no. So... Don't set yourself, don't set stupid expectations for yourself as well. Things like uh, learning to drive a car, isn't it? You might pass your driving tests, but to start off with, you just need to take the time to follow the steps that you've learned and trust in yourself that you're able to do it. But really, a lot of the learning comes when you're out, out well, and about on your say, own. Definitely. It's that classic thing that they say you only really start learning when you're out on the road by yourself. And we're using the analogy of a car, but actually it's that whole patient thing, isn't it? Because actually you're probably uh, learning literally as you go along. And, and actually we're all learning, aren't we? Because it would be crazy to think that you can leave dental school and, you know, a decade on you've you've completed your learning or, a, you know, 20 years on you've, you haven't got anything else to learn. We're, we're obviously always students of, of dental life. So after finishing your training, quite quickly after that, you went on to do some additional qualifications. So what motivated you to do that? And what do you think the benefits of those additional qualifications have had for you? So um, in my practice I was working in, and we were we had a lot of patients who hadn't seen a dentist for a couple of years, probably due to COVID from their point of view, also due to fear of coming in. 
um, a lot of patients with long-standing pre-existing gum issues. Um, I felt that although I was managing them as well as I could with my own undergraduate training, I wanted my own confidence and that actually everything I was doing was 100% the closest to being correct as it could be. Um, I I was searching for what I could do postgraduate-wise. Um, I found a course that would allow me to really just focus in for a year on those patients with gum disease and make sure that everything I'd learned as an undergraduate was I was ticking every single box. So for me, that was more of a kind of a course for my own confidence and knowing that those patients could receive the best care possible from me. And do you think that, that that's what you've ultimately ended up with? Do you feel like you're now achieving that because of that? I felt that once, even sort of six months into this course, I was my notes had improved massively. I was putting a lot more detail into them. And patients that were coming in, I was, I was able to look at the wider picture. And some of that probably comes from the fact that I, I had more experience by this point. I'd been qualified for a year. I was slowly building up my knowledge of, of patients. But um, also without that kind of extra learning I think I would have for me taken a little bit more time to be confident with it once I've done a qualification once I'm working towards a qualification and I'm learning new things that bolsters my confidence massively and I think when you do courses like this you're obviously interacting with people on that course you're you're networking you're talking to people you're problem solving with those people so I'm sure that that's a big plus point about doing an educational course like that Massively, um, you probably in a way learn more from your colleagues than you think you will. You you think all this, you look at the prospectus for a course and you think all this learning I'm going to do, I'm going to learn all of that and nothing more uh, than actually most of the time. You'll, you'll talk for three hours of the day about the actual course content and the other three hours will be just learning from colleagues, discussing things, hearing everyone's experience. I I, I did my postgraduate course with dental hygienists and therapists who actually were also practice managers and they they would run a practice and they were in charge of the HR for their staff and it's a completely different um skill set to what I, I initially thought was possible I I didn't think that that was something they would do well listen out because we've got a great guest who is <laughs> a practicing hygienist as well as managing the entire you know busy specialist practice that she works in so yeah the, these people are out there aren't they they're doing different things and, exactly and that's actually really what this podcast is about we we say it all of the time we're trying to inspire people we're trying to educate people from other people's experiences so that's interesting that you have been exposed to those things perhaps in a non-traditional way yeah, definitely. And, and I, I genuinely, even at the point of qualifying, I I was naive to the fact that that was even a thing that existed. I thought practice manager, my experience was she was a dental nurse for years. She trained as a practice manager, very experienced and knew everything about being a practice manager, not that actually a clinician. I knew a clinician could be a practice owner, but not a practice manager role. So it was a complete insight. Yeah. So we've talked about you in general practice and about your skill set being enhanced. And then you really decided to slightly turn away from clinical work and have a different job. So perhaps talk us through your job at the moment. So um, at the moment, I'm working uh, more in oral health promotion and public health. Um, So a lot of my day to day does involve it's more applying my clinical knowledge, not to a patient, but to a wider group. Um, I had to really get that into my head because at first I, I was kind of thinking, I know I want to go in this area, but people would say to me, I had my parents' friends would say, oh, what about all that clinical experience? What, what about all that training you've lost? 
And then when I started doing the job, I sat there and I thought, well, without my training, I wouldn't actually know what I was doing. Um, so a lot of it involves carrying out oral health promotion in schools, but also training um, other health professionals. So we train health visitors, we train doctors, we train nurses, we train um, care home staff to really think about their patients' oral health and the importance of it. Not something that is is massively focused on always in the medical profession. I think from my experience of talking to friends that are doctors or nurses, there's a bit of a phobia of the mouth. And actually yeah, it's, sure. it's giving them a little bit of confidence in that we're not asking them to do a filling on a patient. We're just asking them to be able to, how to care for this patient's mouth, how to perhaps lubricate it, how to help them brush their teeth and just how to look and, and think of the mouth as just an extension of the skin. If a doctor was to see a lesion on the skin, they'd know who to refer it to. Just giving them that mindset as well of actually you, this is just another part of the body. So that's, that sounds like a really interesting role. Um, could you just tell us a bit more about what that kind of day-to-day looks like? What, are you going to places? Are you delivering presentations? Is it just you? Is there a team? What does that role really look like? Yeah, so as, as a whole, we're a team of about six of us, um, all various kind of levels of experience, level experience from our, our past. We're, most of my team are dental nurses previously. Um, sometimes we work together, so if we're going out for a a visit to a school when it involves a fluoride varnish program, we might be there for the whole day. Um, you really need a couple of people because you need someone to check all of the consents, someone to check all of the children's medical history, and it helps to have one person actually doing the fluoride application and the other one ticking off, making sure you've got every child there. Um, then other days, like yesterday, I'll, I went to a school on my own. I carried out a talk with the reception class. They were very enthusiastic. Um, they had a lot of knowledge, a lot of questions, um, a lot of stories. You, say oh, anyone got any questions and they tell you a story about when they went to the doctor for their foot it's completely <laughs> irrelevant but it's, it's fine i mean putting the mouth back in the body in a different way but um and then other times i'll be working from the office or working from home um trying to find places that we've not perhaps connected with before so potentially a new homeless shelter or a care home that we've not engaged with in our boroughs and try and sort of lend an olive branch to them to make a connection to try and promote what the services we carry out, if their staff require any training, and um, perhaps if they need any resources as well. Um, so it's, it's quite varied from that point of view. This sounds quite a big departure from what you were doing historically. When you first qualified, you were talking about working in general dental practice. And so this is, this is a really seismic change from your working week previously. Perhaps talk us through your decisions. So um, for me, this was a decision that wasn't necessarily one that I, I would have taken initially. Um, from my own point of view, I, I qualified and I thought, well, I hear of people suffering from burnout. I expect that that comes initially five, six, seven, ten years after you're working six days a week. Um, actually, it turns out it doesn't. It can happen a lot quicker. I also hadn't considered the fact that I'd studied for three years. Perhaps that was also very stressful. Well, obviously, mm. I didn't think of that. And um, I then personally had a couple of stresses. I had a few family bereavements, um, some of them quite sudden and unexpected. And um, I, I, I thought I was OK. I was getting on with it. I was still going to work. I was seeing patients. I wasn't struggling. I, I, I hadn't really cried. I wasn't upset or anything. And then um, my what I thought was my hay fever started. So my eyes were itching. My eyes became very, very sore. Um, I just kept using drops using drops, taking antihistamines, drops, antihistamines. 
Um, this got worse and worse, and it turned out it wasn't actually my eyes. It was the skin around my eyes, which then ended up spreading to my whole face. And my whole face was red raw, really, really painful. You know when you cook, you open an oven, that kind of heat feeling 24-7, and very, very itchy, and my, my face was quite swollen. I physically couldn't see enough that I felt I could treat a patient. Um, so I, I said, you know, I, I need to step back. I saw a dermatologist. First question he asked me was, how are your stress levels? And I, I sat there and I thought, well, I, I don't really know how to answer that because... Yeah, sounds as though there'd obviously yeah. been quite a lot going yeah. on. Yeah, there had been, and but I, I hadn't perhaps registered how stressed I was and it wasn't affecting me in the way that I expected it to. I thought, I'll, oh, I'll cry, I'll, I'll this, I'll that, but actually it affected me physically and it that was a complete shock to me. Um, this went on for three months. I mean, and my skin to look at looks like it's under control now, but that's with having a lot of treatment, seeing dermatologists um, and, and a lot of relaxing and just taking a step back and just chilling out, which was hard for me to do because I'd set myself a goal to achieve and achieve and achieve and achieve. And I needed to accept in my head that actually sometimes you need to stop and well, also accept what perhaps you've... some achieve in different ways. Exactly, yeah, and achieve personally and achieve actually getting yourself better and we we think so much about doing the best thing for our patients and if I had a patient who had that issue I would be advising them to speak to someone speak to their doctor and and get some help whereas I wasn't doing that myself I was going no 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 I can carry on I can carry on until I couldn't carry on and I was forced to stop um then I I knew I needed to look for a job we can't just not work forever I, I needed to do something and I thought well I don't want anything on my face. I don't want to be wearing a mask. I don't want to risk coming into work and having to cancel patients because I've had a flare up with my skin. Um, so I just sat on Google and I looked at dental jobs and I put in dental jobs, non-clinical. And I did that for days and days until a post to do maternity cover for an oral health promotion role came up. I didn't feel like I fitted the criteria because it said you must be a dental nurse with an oral health promotion qualification. But then when I went, read the job description... I thought, well, I can do that. I've trained to do that. I've trained to do that. I've trained to do that. So I just applied for it. And it turned out I could do the job. And and it's a, it's a new lease of life in a way. It's it's I'm still using all the clinical skills that I trained to learn, um, all of my kind of my public health knowledge, all of my clinical experience, but to a wider group. Instead of just thinking about the one patient in my chair, I'm thinking about a group of perhaps 20, 30 40, sometimes 100 people who might not even be in the room, but I need to consider what their needs are. So it's, it's a completely different line of sight to what I previously imagined. I mean, you've said some really interesting <laughs> things there. I, I think one of the big things that I'm taking out of that conversation is that you've said that actually if you see a job that's advertised, don't hold back. No. I mean, just just apply because you just never know where it might take you even if you might think that you are not necessarily the person they're looking for, it, it may be, again, a happy accident. Definitely. And it and most jobs will say desired skills, desired experience. It doesn't say you have to have this. I mean, if you're applying for a job as a hygienist, you do need to be qualified as a hygienist. But <laughs> it doesn't say you have to have done this, you have to have done that. It's It's kind of, we'd like it if you've done this. A lot of Jobs, even clinically, will say, oh, it would be good if you had experience in sedation. It doesn't say you have to have it. Even as, as a tutor, it will say, oh, a, a teaching qualification would be advantageous. It doesn't say you have to have a teaching qualification. So look at 
can I fit the criteria for this job? Yeah, actually I can. So give it a go. You're, you're applying for it. You're not accepting the job. You're just applying. You're registering interest. I think that's really useful advice. And yeah, I guess looking after yourself was the other thing that, that really came out of, of your experience and what you said there and being more aware of the pressures that are on you and, and, and how you're reacting to that. And it's probably not a very easy question to answer, but if somebody else was finding themselves in that kind of point where they're feeling a bit burnt out and they're stressed and they're uh, maybe struggling, either a new graduate or somebody who's been graduated for a while, do you have any advice or tips that you would, would give to them? Um, generally people would say, well, take a holiday, stop. Um, for me, I'd taken holidays and I'd stopped and it was still happening. The, the turning point for me was actually having the confidence to talk to someone about everything in quite detail about how I was feeling, perhaps not something you'd share with everyone, but just finding that person you could talk to and then just saying, what, what is your opinion? What do you think about it? And most people, when you tell them what had happened to you, they'll go, oh, you've had a really tough, like it's been really, really tough for you. But in your head, you're thinking, oh, well, I can carry on. I can carry on. My feelings aren't perhaps valid. So just step back, think of everything that's, that's kind of brought you to feeling the way you're feeling, to feeling that burnout, and just ask someone else's appearance, uh, opinion, even if it's not someone in the industry, if it's someone completely different, just ask their opinion and see what they say. And you'll, you'll be surprised at what an external insight can give you. Um, I think as, as I sit here today, I would, I'd like to try and combine the two. Um, I feel that all of the experience I, I relay to people that I'm teaching, people that I'm educating with, I say, well, when I'm in clinic, I, I do this. When I'm, if I'm treating a patient, I'll do that. If I've not treated a patient for years, I can't really rely on that anymore. Um, the same as with being a tutor, you, you work clinically you usually still you're still seeing patients and you help that helps you to relay back to your students I feel for me that's is the same I need to keep up clinical experience and not stop it and regret it so I'd, I'd like to find a way that I can combine the two and I know there's people in the industry that perhaps work three days a week as a hygienist and they might do something completely different on the other days that's not dental and it's finding whether I'll, I'll do something that's still dental but not clinical like this job the other days or whether it's something different or whether I go back full time into clinical work, just kind of being really open to different options, really. And do you think that doing this job would influence or change how you ended up doing your clinical treatment if you did go back into that? Or do you do you think there's anything that you've learned from this that you could apply to the clinical side? I think it's giving me a, a wider understanding of, of different groups that perhaps wouldn't in a private dental practice appear in my surgery. Um, sometimes we're going into homeless shelters. It's unlikely, actually, that someone that goes to a homeless shelter is going to walk into a private practice. And I perhaps, even though I'd perhaps learned about care for that, that group in for the community, I hadn't really considered it until I worked directly in the room with those people. So I, I think I'd, I'd consider a lot more, actually, the challenges that people do face in their personal lives now. That's really lovely to share. Thank you, Robert, for that, because I think uh, there's a lot of people out there who will resonate with your story and try and perhaps be motivated to try and do something different about it. Yeah, definitely. Just just apply and try. The worst, the worst thing that can happen is you hear a no. And we've all heard no before, even from the age of one. We hear no. <laughs> no, don't do that. So just try. You're not committing yourself to anything. You're just applying. And be, just be open to something different. I think that's a great thing to end on. It's been an absolute pleasure having you uh, with us today. Yes, thank you so much, Robert. It's been really great. No, thank you for having me. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. 
we would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please rate, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes. <laughs>